Hello, everybody. Welcome to Two Nuts in a Pod. I'm Lizzie. And I'm Emery. And as usual, we have a special guest today who Emery is going to introduce. I will introduce our special guest. It is Mandy Simpson. And Mandy is a friend for the past few years. Yeah. I don't know how long. It's been It's been a little while. Um, I think I first met you at a wedding. Actually, I first met you at Dylan and Megan's wedding. Yes. And Dylan oh, has was there. been on the show. Yeah. Yeah. He's a friend of the show. He's a friend of the show. Friend of the podcast. And Mandy is also a friend of the show. And Mandy works for Metro United Way here yep. in Louisville. I forgot your job Right down title. the street. I'm director of public policy there. Oh, okay. What does that mean? <laughs> <laughs> it means I work on our advocacy issues at local, state, and federal level. Oh, very nice. That's my elevator speech. Um, <laughs> but I get to do what I really love and kind of recognize that while programming is critically important to being able to work with our community to achieve better outcomes, what policy has built programming alone can never transform. So we've got to be working even as nonprofits at that really transformational level. Um, so I get to kind of make sure that we're included in that space and try to make sure that we and people who with lived experience expertise can weigh in in that space and that we can all push together for that foundational piece that we want to build community supports onto. So basically, Mandy's a great person. So that's what you know. <laughs> yeah. And- I'm- <laughs> I'm not. She's a lovely Jim, and we're excited to have Mandy on the show today. I do. I clearly feel right at home when you guys were like, I'm Emery and I'm Lizzie. I was like, and I'm Mandy. Like, <laughs> <laughs> great to see you guys. No, not yet. We introduced I you. I know. I was like, all right, shut your mouth, Mandy. <laughs> Welcome to the thing. But before we jump in to our first segment, I got to go over the business. Yes. You're listening to Two Nuts in a Pod on 106.5 Forward Radio. You can find us anytime at forwardradio.org. You can also find us on any streaming services, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, CastBox, and SoundCloud. You can also find us on social media platforms. Facebook is Two Nuts in a Pod with two spelled out, T-W-O. And Instagram is Two Nuts in a Pod with the number two, because it's all hip on Instagram. You can also email us anytime, day or night, 24-7 at Two Nuts in a Podcast at gmail.com. We will respond to you in between one and 100 days. So look out for that response. Yep. One of our interns. Yeah, one of our interns will grab it. <laughs> Last time we said we had 15 interns. <laughs> we actually have 16 now, so yeah. production's going up. They yeah. added me to the list. <laughs> Mandy's the new intern. <laughs> I think you're overqualified. <laughs> no, I'm going to sign my emails like Emory and Lizzie. You'll never know if it was really them or if it was me. So that's if, the business. So we're done with business. Done with business. So now we're going to start our first segment, which is how are you for real? So this is where, you know, typically when you ask someone how they are, they'll respond fine or I'm great and then just move on. It's the end of the conversation. But we actually want to hear all the dirty details. How are you really doing? Um, it's OK if you're doing well, but let us in on that secret. Why are you doing so well? How can we emulate it? Is there a pill I can take? You know, elaborate. Um, what so, is the secret? Please tell us. Yeah, please, for the love of God. <laughs> so <laughs> We're struggling over here. Just give us some answers. So, yeah, how are you for real is we, just like it sounds. We want to hear how you're actually doing. And I'm going to start with you, Emery. How are you for real? How am I for real? Good Lord. Um, so I had kind of a difficult morning. I'm going to tell you about it right now. <laughs> tell us about I'm it. I'm so tickled by myself. Uh, I So I woke up and I checked uh, my phone 
And I've, I've been on dating apps. And I was on this app called Hinge. It's a dating app. And it's probably, like, I think it's like the third most popular dating app. There's like Tinder. A lot of people know that one. That one's, is, that one's a nightmare. Then there's Bumble. And Bumble, usually the woman is the one that initiates the response. And then there's Hinge, I think is the, probably the third most popular one. And I was on Hinge, and I received a response from a person that I thought, like, I thought it was going well. Good connection. You know, she seemed really cool. She's really nice. We had good conversation. And then she just said, like, hey, I'm just, I just want to be friends. And it kind of, like, it made me sad. And I was like, dang, man. Like, I appreciate her honesty. But it kind of bummed me out. And I was like, oh, this kind of sucks. And just, you know, it's kind of one of those things, like, not only dating with dating apps, but dating, like, in your 30s and then dating during COVID. Like, all of it is just, like throw your hands up in the air, just give up, like, what is happening? Uh, but we actually, I actually asked, and I was like, hey, like, was there anything I did wrong or whatever? And we had, like, a nice conversation back and forth, and I, I really appreciated it. And it was just very, you know, she was very genuine and honest and open, and and it was something very nice. So, like, I was very sad at first, and I even when I saw it, I was like, man, I'm bummed out, and Floyd, my cat, he even came over and did a little snuggle with me. It's like he knew Aww. that I was bummed out. And, uh, but then I took the initiative and I was like, I'm just going to ask and be like, Hey, was, was it anything specifically that I did or said? Like, I want to know. And, uh, I want to just do better. And she said, no, it was just, um, well, this, you know, we just went into it and talked about it and it was, it was really nice. So I, I appreciated that. And, um, so yeah, that was, that was really it about that story, but it was just, you know, kind of a bummer, but then it was like, it's okay. Yeah. It just happens. And you know, it's. Maybe not the right time for it. Maybe not the right person. It's just one of those things, and but it's okay, and you just kind of dust off and move on. Yeah, you got to have like a thick skin for dating nowadays. It seems like. Yeah, and what I appreciated the most was that she was forthcoming with saying like, "Hey, like I just want to be friends," and then she was forthcoming with her response, her subsequent response of why. And I appreciate that because a lot of people just ghost. They'll just like not respond or never say anything, and that's very common. I mean, I've. I'm guilty of it too. I've done it as well. And so I really appreciated that from her. And that was just a, a nice, genuine, sincere response. I was like, okay, this is cool. And I'm, I'm fine with being friends. I can have another friend. I'm cool with that. And so, yeah, I appreciated that a lot. Shout out to her for doing, being willing to do some emotional work to kind of just honor the humanity of a hinge connection that, that there's a real person on the other side. Cause that's tough and people get exhausted emotionally and I'm sure don't always want to take the time to weigh in on that or even carry forward a connection, even if it was positive. So I'm here for hinge girl. Shouts out to her. Yeah. Shout yeah. out to her for breaking my heart. You know, no, I'm <laughs> <laughs> listen, and if hinge is really the third popular, most dating app, why don't they have a career journal headline? <laughs> okay. So this is one thing. They we're, lack some credibility in my book. <laughs> we were talking before the show and Mandy, who is not as familiar with dating apps, uh, asked me how I even found out about hinge and then, and she asked if the Courier Journal, the local newspaper, had reported on it. I was like, all right, this is the nerdiest interaction I've ever had. No, I don't think the Courier Journal's reported on it. If they have, I didn't read the story because we know Mandy's a big fan of newspapers. And actually, Mandy and I, that's one of our common uh, bonds, is we are both former little student journalists. Oh, yeah. Are we still in our brains or just little student journalists? We're like 18 running around with notebooks. I was in the tiny. City. 
asking people how they feel about the affairs of the day. But I still ride or die for the Courier Journal. Shouts out to them too. <laughs> yeah, shout out to the Courier Journal. We love them. Uh, so, but yeah, no, I just found it. I probably found it through social media, not through the Courier Journal. Um, the Courier Journal's on social media. Well, yeah, I know that, but like, I didn't see like you can catch them online. <laughs> I didn't see in their feature section like, mm, the Courier Journal's reporting about the Hinge app. I might check that out when I have free time. Is that Hinge? Hinge? Is that my pronouncing it? Correctly? I think I'll download that on the apps on my iPhone. Like, no, I didn't read that. <laughs> Is it spelled the standard spelling of Hinge? Why H- is it called that? H i n g e. I don't know. It's. I think their tagline is like, "We're the dating app that's intended to be deleted." Like, so they want people to make connections, and so you can delete your dating app. So they want you to delete it. And I have not. And as of this morning, since my heart was broken, I still haven't deleted it. So, but shout out to her, right, I'm Mandy? Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> More shouts out to you. Cheers to you. Shouts out to her. Yeah. You're out there trying to get it done, trying to make a match, trying to make a hinge, trying to make a hinge swing. But I don't I, understand but where I, the name comes from. I've actually, I and I was telling them before the show, I've met many people through dating apps that have just been friends or acquaintances or people that like we made connections like through work or something. So it's like, it's really like, I don't really mind it in that way too. Like, I don't mind making friends. I'm fine with that. But, you know, just the way it works out. Yeah. I'm proud of you for getting out there. And she actually, the reason was she said I was too ugly. So oh. she did not say well, that. You are hideous. <laughs> she was like, you're really gross looking. <laughs> I thought I'd give this gross guy a chance. And I was like, no, he's like, just too ugly. <laughs> this is not true. We all know Emery is dashing. <laughs> so, yeah, that was, uh, so, yeah, I guess, you know, it's kind of all over the place, but I feel better now. Good. So, Lizzie, how are you? For real. I feel like a broken record because I feel like every week I've been like crappy, but I'm still pretty crappy. So I don't really know how to spin it another way. Um, <laughs> I'm just, I'm just crappy. <laughs> crappy. <laughs> I, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm just still, I've got really high anxiety and it's just like really getting in the way of a lot of stuff. I did go back to work last week. Um, and that felt really good, mostly because I was just going crazy or not having stuff to do. Mm-hmm. Um, so I actually like had a couple of like productive days, and that definitely helped. Something I've realized with my anxiety is like I really have to like force myself to do things mm. um, because I really easily just feel like paralyzed and that I don't want to do anything. It, even small things like you know cooking a meal or like doing the dishes or folding the laundry i guess it's a lot of chore stuff i hate chores apparently (laughs) (laughs) i'm like a little kid i just hate doing chores but um yeah so i've kind of though developed almost a different relationship with my anxiety as a result like i've never had my anxiety this high before and it's kind of like forced me to be able to sit through it more i think i'm over the years have become really good at avoiding my anxiety through like you know, substances and just putting myself in only certain environments that I'm comfortable and just maybe like over parenting myself a little bit. But right now the anxiety is so severe that I really, nothing really feels safe. Like even sitting at home doesn't feel like a safe place. Like Mm -hmm. I still feel really anxious just when I'm sitting at home. So I'm having to learn through that to you know, if I've made plans with someone like that, I'm going to push through it and I'm going to show up and, you know, I might not show up in the way I would have loved to, 
um, in a better mindset, but I'm learning to kind of be with those feelings of anxiety and realize like, for one thing, they don't always turn into a panic attack. That was a big fear that I had at the beginning of this kind of bout of anxiety. I had a couple of panic attacks and that's what really kind of made the anxiety worse because once you have a couple of panic attacks, you tend to be afraid you're going to keep having them. So then it's like you get anxious about being anxious about being anxious. And it's like this cycle. Um, but it is getting better. I've had a rough few days cause I haven't been sleeping well, but that's just because of a medication issue, not getting refilled. But I, I do, I have noticed that I'm getting better. It's just really slow. And so I think, I think I just have to keep toughing it out. It's also hard because one of my cats is dying and oh, I haven't oh, talked about oh. it on the show yet because I was worried I would cry if I talked about it. But I'm I'm more feeling at peace with it now because she's been um, diagnosed for several weeks now and she's doing OK. Yeah, she's she's not going to be with us much longer, but she's definitely um, she's being very affectionate and cuddly and been feeding her her little broth because that's all she can really eat right now. So yeah, crappy. Yeah. Pretty crappy. Can't really lie about that. Do you feel like when, to use your word, you kind of like force yourself to do the small things like make a meal, do the dishes, do the laundry, do you feel better after or do you just feel like exhausted or both? I feel better after. It's just, and that's what's so frustrating is like that I know that I feel better after I do the thing, but I still feel so much resistance when I try to do anything like it's like my brain won't learn every single time you do something you feel better like coming here today to record this is the first time I've been out all weekend like this is going to make me feel better um whereas watching tv all day yesterday did not it may have helped me to numb the feelings a little bit but yeah it's it's more because I, I tend to be really careful about not over exerting myself. I have a pretty good sense of when I'm I'm wearing myself down, um, but I don't tend to lean that way. I tend to lean towards doing too little <laughs> rather than doing too much. I think Emery's the opposite. Uh, I don't really burn myself out that easily because I'm so sensitive and I know that about myself. I tend to just be really careful with myself, and when I start to feel that burnout happening, I'll be like, okay, time to take a break. I wish I'm with you. I wish I could know the threshold of evidence required for my like mind and my mental health to know that something is good for me and to be able to buy into that and really lean into it. But the burden of proof for that is just so high. It feels like sometimes like I, I, I know I end quotes, know that this is going to make me feel better. But in the moment where you don't want to do it, there's no amount of proof or anecdotal experience that can compel you. It takes just some deep down motivation. I'm proud of you for like continuing to find the strength to pull that up and get out there and do something. I'm proud of you for being here. Thank you. And thank you for being here with us. <laughs> thank you guys for pulling me out of my depressive, anxious just slumber this weekend because I've really just I haven't done anything because um, with you know with what I'm already dealing with and then not sleeping on top of that I've just been I'm like man I don't even didn't even feel like I could like see people like some people went sledding yesterday and mm -hmm. it was one of those like intense like anxiety FOMO kind of things where I was like 
I wish I was the kind of person today who could just go sledding yeah. and just have fun. But that's not where I'm at today. And so just having to, like, accept that and let the FOMO go because mm-hmm. there will be other opportunities to do fun stuff yep. with, with friends. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, I, I'll i be thankful when I get this this med journey that I'm on. It's it's temporary and i know that it's i'm definitely not through the hardest i I think i might be through the hardest part of it um i'm hoping i am but it's for a really good reason i mean i'm really trying to streamline and make sure i'm only on meds that are working for me because i i basically just got over prescribed to Hmm. a lot of different stuff and that's a bad bad thing for me because I do have a really sensitive system to drugs and a really addictive personality and so I'm just trying to like with my current prescriber just trying to like simplify things and kind of get back to like a basic level of like you know feeling what I what really works and that just takes a lot of time yeah and can be so frustrating gosh I know but now I'm I'm almost at the phase where I'm like I just kind of want to get down to as close to my natural state as I can and, and just kind of see where I'm at. Yeah. Cause I, I think I'm over, I'm finally over the magic pill thing. I just don't think it exists for me. Yeah. I really want it to, but no correct cocktail. Just want to understand what the baseline is now. Yeah. And I'm in, I'm in weekly therapy and you know, I think that's having a huge effect. And so I, I think I just have to like, chill out a little bit on assuming that drugs are going to you know somehow solve my problems for me because mm-hmm. they're just they're just a tool and they can really help a lot and some have helped a lot for me some that I've tried that I didn't stay on did help me for a brief period of time so you know I'm glad that I had that trial and error but now it's just, I'm just in a totally different mindset about it I kind of just want to get back to feeling as close to like Lizzie as I can Mm -hmm. without torturing myself. I'm not going to take myself off of everything. And because we know that never works when people are like, Oh, I'm feeling great. Let me just stop (laughs) taking all my pills. I'm the opposite. I feel terrible. Let me just stop taking all my pills. Um, No, I'm not going to stop taking all of them, but yeah, we are tinkering and low, just lowering amounts of things. And yeah. Yeah, it's been it's been a journey, but I I do think this will be a lot easier when I'm out of my seasonal depression too. I feel mm-hmm. like my seasonal depression, I barely noticed it this year cuz it's so in the background of this intense anxiety, but I know that once the sun starts coming out more and you know, it's not so cold out that I'll I'll be able to cope with changes better. It's just kind of it was a rough decision to try to do this in the winter, which is just historically not a good time for me, mental health-wise. And me, I don't want the sun to come out. I know. I want the dark and gloomy, you know? I'm actually like that, too. We were just talking about this. I'm such a... I love the absolute cold. I would live in Arctic Canada if there were work there. I like the dark. <laughs> yeah, I wish there was, like, polar bears here in Louisville. That would just make it more fun, I guess. And I That'd would just be, be cute. Like, 
It would be cute until they maul someone. <laughs> I just picture them ice skating like down in the square. <laughs> I just picture them mauling like a bus of They're children. They're just like directing so. traffic. <laughs> it's like, like it's the North Pole. The polar bears are directing traffic. <laughs> they, I feel like when it's when it's the lighter seasons and when it's summer, there's this expectation that I'm going to be outside and productive and throwing mm-hmm. a frisbee and having a picnic and loving life. And I cannot live up to that. So in the winter, yeah. I feel like I have full excuse to be inside and be reclusive and not not feel like I'm wasting away or or have people like tell me like you're wasting a beautiful day because I'm like it's a crappy day it's 12 degrees and snowing says in the winter yeah Yeah, that's I think that's part of what I like about the winter I also like just um like I romanticize the winter. Like I think that it's beautiful. And when it's dark outside, there are sparkly lights and the snow is white and also sparkly. <laughs> I just, I like it. I like the, just the un like unforgiving, unwavering nature of winter. Like it's just, it's, it's can be brutal. Mm-hmm. Like to me, summer matches your soul. Yeah. To me, summer <laughs> is just like suffocating. And then it is that expectation of like, I have to go do everything and be happy all the time. And like winter, it's like, yeah, everybody's sad. Okay, just stay inside. Like, So it just, I, I feel a little more at ease with winter. And summer, I just like, these expectations, I just feel like I can never meet up to them. And also like, I just don't like a lot of summer activities. I don't like the beach because I don't like how sand feels. I don't like salt water. I don't like barbecues. I don't like camping. What a hipster. <laughs> you don't like bar... What do you not like about barbecues? The outside? The people in the outside. The people. <laughs> the food still is a positive, though. I mean, the Net food's positive. A positive. I would say, really, it's because, like, bugs, sunburns, and sweating. Mm. Oh, sunburns. Yes. Oh, my God. Sunburns. And we're all three very fair-skinned people in here. Like, sunburns yeah. are brutal for us. I'm getting one through the window right now with February sun. Like, <laughs> yeah. Oop, a new freckle just popped up. <laughs> like, uh, I literally... Literally, I've I've had such bad sunburns in my past that like I'm scared of them. Like I'm actually scared to get a sunburn. Oh yeah, you've you had that tra- traumatizing sunburn where yeah. it just you hurt all over. So and... like I'll see the sun, and I'll be out, and I'll be like, oh my god, I have to go like to the shade. Like I have to get shade, or right? no, I can't go outside right now because it's too powerful. Like just like give me a break. Just give me the winter where it's dark and sad all the time and everything's dead. All right, Mandy. (laughs) (laughs) On that note. Mandy, how are you for real? Well, I am glad that it's winter. Um, I mean, y'all, I have definitely, I have been better than I am this week for sure. Um, I lost, we'll talk about it. We're going to talk about grief a little bit today. Um, But I lost my dad two years ago this past Tuesday. And it feels like yesterday. And I know... A lot of people have had an experience where they've lost someone close to them and it all feels like a blur. But I remember from the moment I got the call from my mom seven to ten days out just in painfully particular detail and relive it all the time, but especially this week. Um, So like I, I all day today, I've been replaying this Sunday two years ago and that feels inescapable and pretty suffocating so it's been hard to break free of that but I've I've done some things like to cope better with the anniversary this year like I've started to analyze if um 
things I'm removing from my life that bring me joy, I'm doing for arbitrary reasons and then not do them. For example, <laughs> I have a Christmas tree in my bedroom um, that I took down when it was when Christmas was over and I put that thing straight back up this month. I was like, nope, that made me happy. I like, I like the lights. I'm not trying to sleep in the dark. I put the Christmas tree back in my room um, and it's going to stay as long as I need it to. I started taking baths and felt I was really uh, wary of a bath bomb. I think just because of the name, I was like, do I need to test this in the sink? Is this going to explode in my bath? Like, is glitter going to go everywhere? What it's, is about to go down? It's a bomb. It's, oh, I was like, I really did. I like tested it in the sink. I was like, it was what is going to happen? Um, but one of my friends got me some bath bombs. So I like took a bath with a bath bomb. It just turns the water colors. But it's great. Like yeah. you like no explosions. No, no explosions. That's good. Explodes. That it really like bad. got busy and I like just dunked it under the water and I was like, don't you dare. But um, <laughs> like that has been helpful. So I'm like, tr I'm trying to introduce things that bring like light and happiness and some grounding. Sensory experiences help me a lot. So like lights, bath water, that's colors, whatever. Just things that can like keep me in the present moment help a lot from like just kind of reliving traumatic moments and then I so that's how I am broadly and then more specifically I, I have some like overwhelming feelings in this moment <laughs> like I'm super nervous to be on this podcast I was telling Lizzie and Emery like I um I'm a hand me the mic kind of girl if we're trying to talk about an issue especially a policy issue like if you want to know some things you should chime in on on the state legislature right now please hit me up um but I, I never, in fact, I think this is the first time I've ever, like, talked about myself, um, my private life in any kind of public way. So I'm nervous about that. And I'm especially nervous because I think many people, including the two amazing hosts of this show, have done the really hard and courageous and exhausting work of understanding mental health as the foundation of wellness that it is and exploring their own mental health in that context. And just on the real, real, I haven't. I have really run from that um, examination of my own mental health in my life. And my story with mental health certainly is not one of triumph. It is one of journey and, and sometimes, you know, big love that has surrounded me and kept me safe and moving forward or at least standing still. But I am nervous that I have like ignorance and blind spots and I'm going to say something that's damaging or harmful or re-traumatizes someone or like really hits a hard nerve. And I, I don't want to do damage because I don't have the depth of understanding of mental health as wellness or of my own mental health that many people have fought so hard to have. So, you know, I just have the utmost respect and admiration for the two of you and everyone who does that work. I want to be one of you. <laughs> I'm getting there. I'm trying. Thank you. You got to download Hinge to be like me. So. <laughs> <laughs> until the courier writes a story, I'm not. Until they validate it, I'm not doing it. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I think we like kind of both felt like we had no other choice but to start talking about it all the time. Like mm. for me, it was kind of like it's it's been in my adult life has become something that is so, I guess, overwhelming that. I felt like I needed to talk about it and that I needed a space in order to do that and to like have other people share too. And, um, but it is, it's really hard. I remember when we first started the show that it was, it's hard at first. It feels odd to like 
you know, really own those feelings and, and talk about them. But it's kind of addictive once you start doing it. It really is. Yeah, then you'll never stop. You'll just meet people at the gas yeah, station and people... be like, let me tell you something. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm sad today. <laughs> I'm just going to stand like downstairs in the lobby every time I know you're taping the show and be like, can I come back on the show and tell you how I feel, how I really am doing? <laughs> We'd love it. You'd well, be like, no, Mandy, not this time. <laughs> yeah, I find it beneficial. Like, And you're going to make mistakes when telling your story or saying things. And I think I mean, that's just the learning process. And I'd rather make those mistakes and learn from it than just not say anything at all. And I realize how many people can identify with my story or with my situation or things that I've dealt with. And I think that builds a stronger connection and bond with those individuals and makes people feel less alone. Mm -hmm. So I know it makes me feel less alone. Yeah. I know, like, when I start, it was seeing other people do it that made me inspired to do it. I think it's like a chain reaction like that. It's like, wow, it made me feel really good to read about that person's experiences and for them to be so vulnerable and then it was like well I want to try to do that too that's I feel like that 100% like I listened to this show and when Emery was like do you want to come on initially I was like nope I don't think I can meet those expectations absolutely not (laughs) but then I was like Mandy like if there's anything I can say that can be affirming or helpful or like help someone realize how much progress you can make when you externalize some of the things that you're feeling, then you should do that because many people, including the two of you, have done that for me. So I feel, on top of feeling really anxious and sad in this moment, I do feel really, really grateful for the oper- for both of you and for the opportunity to, like, in any way um, be a part of supporting any one single person at all. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, we're so happy to have you. Um, We're going to take a quick break, and we'll BRB. Two Nights in a Pod is a program dedicated to talking about the real stuff, the stigma of mental illness, how we tend to our mental health, and how our brains define and empower us. Hosted by Lizzie and Emery, Two Nights in a Pod can be found on podcast streaming devices such as iTunes, SoundCloud, Google Play, and CastBox. In addition to podcast streaming services, Two Nuts in a Pod is a proud member of Forward Radio. 1065 WFMPLP is committed to broadcasting the voices of those groups and individuals in our community who are routinely ignored by the mainstream media, promoting understanding and collaboration among diverse groups, supporting our efforts to network, organize, and strengthen our community and our democracy. Forward Radio is a volunteer-powered, listener-supported station, and we need your contributions. Just go to forwardradio.org to donate or get involved. Okay, we're back. Good to be with you all again. It was sad when you when we were away from you, as always. It was we missed you. We did. We had some some good chats though. We these two are just like a fount of knowledge about news, and I don't read the news, <laughs> and so they're they're kind of showing me the ropes a little bit about you know which which news is good for me to watch and which I might need to stay away from. So I appreciate that. News nerds. A couple of news nerds over here. <laughs> a couple of news nerds. Yeah, it's very weird to to interact with someone especially my age who like likes the news as much as like Mandy does and like kind of has a good understanding of it and how it works and everything. So it's, you know, it's kind of nice. It's refreshing. It is. It's sweet to say I have a good understanding. I have like a compulsion. Like if I cannot read the newspaper by 9am, I will lose my mind and think I no longer can ground myself in this universe. Wow. (laughs) So Mandy's fun. (laughs) (laughs) So I'm really interesting. (laughs) 
<laughs> and if you want to have a morning meeting with me, you better make sure I read the news first. Otherwise, I'm not paying attention to what you're saying. I'm reading the news while you talk to me. Yeah. Awesome. Well, Mandy, this is a part of the show where we like to hear from you kind of just about your backstory with uh, mental health issues. Um, just kind of like what has been your experience it can be in the past, currently, that kind of like brought you to this space? Well, I think I have, I've kind of had a lot of privilege in the mental health space. Like I feel like my mental health has been a steady, congenial driver of my life that was usually on the same page as my operational capacities about what destination we were headed toward. And we were just on track together and rolling. Um, and then as I mentioned, I lost my dad two years ago. And that was the first time my mental health in the driver's seat just started swerving off the road, like driving through the forest, like hitting trees and obstacles and um, being fully in control and like just had my life in its grasp completely in a way that I had to start to understand how I might guide it. And that was brutal. So like my family, uh, fortunately is now and always has been tremendously close. My dad and I had a phenomenal relationship. He was a teacher for 27 years and a coach and the kind of, um, man who like loved every rough edge of you with this stubborn love that made you recognize all the things that were good in yourself. And I mean, uh, he could sharpen those rough edges too, which is something I actually really value about him. Um, and he had such an acceptance of my imperfections that I could feel anchored in my own identity in spite of them. So I really felt like understanding his love and my relationship with him was such a huge component of me understanding who I was and what my purpose was. And when we lost him, I felt totally untethered from that. So we lost my dad suddenly. Um, his heart stopped in his sleep and he was otherwise well. He had high cholesterol, but he was not battling any kind of chronic condition and he wasn't even sick at the time. So... There was, I think anytime you lose someone you're very close to, there's trauma. There was kind of like blunt force trauma in losing him the way that we did. And like I said, like the, I remember every minute of that week so unbelievably well in such vivid detail. Um, and I remember like just struggling so hard to understand my own mental health and gut check wh what the depths of what I was feeling were like, where is this bottom? Because I remember at first feeling like a really abstract understanding of the depth of my pain. I felt things like, I don't want to be in this world that doesn't have my dad in it. Mm -hmm. And I don't want to move forward in time because every minute is another minute without my dad and in this strange world that I do not recognize and I don't know myself in. And um, I, you know, I felt really unanchored from what my, my purpose was. So it was all 
really ambiguous. Like I knew I was feeling these things, but I wasn't concrete enough for me to understand or be able to articulate to someone like I am feeling differently about my life and living than I ever have before. Mm. Um, and it took me probably until like a month after we, my mom and dad and my older sister had planned a trip a beach vacation with my dad and you know we didn't know what we were doing so we were like okay well we're all just gonna still go we're like all gonna get passports and we're everybody in the family's going and I'm really scared of flying like like big deal bad scared like clutching the ramp like the little on-ramp thing that you get onto the plane with the jetway what is that called I don't, I don't know, know. The tunnel, the horrifying tunnel you walk into horrifying before you tunnel. get on the yeah. death yeah. trap plane. Um, I hate that thing. And so I was like in it and I was waiting for the anxiety to hit me like it always did when I got on a plane. Like I just like waiting to feel like the shaking and the crying and the terrified feeling. And I didn't hmm. at all. And I was like, where I was like searching for it. I was like, where is this feeling and what is happening? And I was like... I don't care if this plane goes down. Wow. I don't like, I'm not scared because if it goes, if it goes down, then I don't have to be in this world without my dad anymore. And it wasn't like I was seeking an outcome where I didn't continue living, but I just felt total ambivalence about it. I was like, I don't care. Mm. Um, and that I didn't feel scared, but I feel scared thinking about that now because there was nothing like I had never not been able to rationalize that I had meaning for this world and for the people who I love in it. You know, like it's it's incredible to think that like I was in a place so dark that like I couldn't I was with my mom and my sister and my brother and I still couldn't see like that love wasn't enough to make me think I can still find joy here. It was just so dark. And that was the that was the moment where I was like, I need therapy. This is what therapy is for. <laughs> um, but I still kind of resisted that until I started understanding like triggers for my grief and that I was not the boss of those or what caused those or when those happened. And um like, I remember one morning, I walked back into work also. I don't know if people have this experience. I straight up rolled into work a week after losing dad and, like, gave a presentation to our board. And that's probably the last thing I remember for, like, six months after that, which were a total blur. But um, I have an incredibly supportive workplace who would have been fine with me taking any kind of leave of absence. And they were unbelievably helpful while I was, you know, the week I was away. And there was no expectation on their part that I was going to walk back. But I just didn't know what I was doing again. I like I had no ability to articulate what I was feeling to myself, much less to other people. So I was just like strolling back into work, like I'm just going to do this. and Kind of compartmentalizing almost. Yeah. And you, you know those motions so well that you can still do them, mm -hmm. um, kind of in spite of everything you feel. So I like strolled back into work. And a few weeks after, I was like in Frankfurt lobbying. And I remember being there and um, one of my colleagues up there, I was I went into a meeting and lobbied a bill with her and we walked out and she was like, Mandy, did you did your dad die? 
And I was like, yeah. He did. And she was like shocked. Like, what are you doing here? And like, how are you? What is going? Maybe you weren't close to your dad. Like, I don't know. You could see like just the questions in her face. And I was like, she is right. Like, what am I doing here? But I made it through all that fine. But then I was driving back and pulling into work right down West Broadway here. And there was a police car with its lights on. And all of a sudden, like my brain flashed back to like pulling up to my parents' house where the ambulance was. And, like, running in and having to ask an EMT, like, is my dad dead? And, like, I didn't know if, like, I did not, I had no context for a flashback like this. Like, it was literally, like, in in front of my eyes that moment was happening again. And I had no idea where I actually was in reality. Um, and that was another moment that I was, like, therapy, because I've read about this, and this is trauma. yeah. I need to go to a therapist and talk about it. Um, but again, I like lacked such knowledge and how it was just carrying like such mental health privilege with me my whole life. I was like, okay, so let's do therapy. I'm going to call my employee assistance program at three o'clock from my desk at work one day. And like, I'm going to get like a hotline. Like it's going to be like press one for marriage counseling, press two for postpartum depression, press three for grief counseling. And I was like, that's great. I'm going to push some buttons. I'm going to set a time. I'm going to get some therapy. But obviously that is not, is not what happens when you call an assistance program that is for people who are in crisis. A real person answers the phone to talk to you. So like when they answered, they were like, this is, you know, the program. And I was like, oh, hi, um, I need therapy. They were like, okay, okay. <laughs> can you can you tell us a little bit more? And I was like, uh, no. Like right now, they were like, can you just like tell us what you're feeling? And I had to actually say the words like my dad died. And I couldn't, like I couldn't get the words that I just started bawling. And they were like, we would like to see you today. How about in an hour? And I was like, no, I'm fine. <laughs> I cannot come see you in an hour. Like I've got a meeting. Um. But that was, like, the epitome of, like, mental health privileges when you call a therapist and think you're going to get, like, a keypad option. Um, but I did schedule an appointment, and I went to therapy and still didn't know how to talk about what I was feeling at all. Like, I knew how to say, like, my dad died, and I view life fundamentally differently now, and I am not, I don't recognize my personality anymore but I couldn't like I couldn't break through it all and my therapist the therapist um started crying thinking about the loss of his own father oh geez and then I felt emotionally responsible for him <laughs> and I was like I don't like I don't know how therapy works but like I don't think this is the dynamic yeah it's not ideal <laughs> so, so I was like, is that the first time yeah. Oh, wow. That's. <laughs> You're like, I made my therapist cry. <laughs> yeah. And then I was like, is it like I'm so pathetic or. I've never made a therapist cry. I've seen them tear up when I'm crying just as an empathy response. They're just like, oh. I've had a therapist cry, but it was I went to him a few times and it was him talking about his own family experience. Yeah. And he cried. But I was sitting there just like, wait a second. Am I the one that's supposed to be crying? Well, should Hold I start on. crying with you? Because, like, I feel like I'm, I'm the one that should be crying, right? <laughs> that was your first time. Yeah. And then he said some some kind of confusing things about, like, 
what it is to like be a, a, a daughter and a woman. And I was like, I don't really like what you are saying about that. You don't yeah. really know what that experience is. So it wasn't, it wasn't a fit. Um, but like, also I take some accountability for that. Cause I, I was not, I had no idea how to talk about it. So none of that ended up being helpful. But then I started to figure out the things that were, which was like, and this is not just from like this moment a few months out, but like from the minute I found out I lost dad, what was actually helpful for me were the people who, the people and comments that affirmed the tailspin that I was in. Like I remember one of my colleagues, so I, I'm like close to as a professional, but we don't have any relationship personally, sent me an email after they like told all staff, which was, you know, a day later. And she was like, Mandy, I'm shocked. Like, I ha I cannot imagine what you're feeling. This is so sudden and so abrupt. And I was like, yeah, I am shocked. And like, to know that that wasn't isolated, but like even like the waves of that were reverberating out to people who were even kind of peripheral in my life was so affirming. I was like, okay, like it was a sigh of relief almost to be like, yeah. I'm allowed to be shocked and actually like having someone else name that helped me understand it too. Like that is what I feel like. I can't believe this happened. This is so out of left field. That was really helpful. And we had um, a chaplain that my mom worked with come, came and talked to us and he said, grief is exhausting. And that is something I still like cling to to this day like even when the world seems otherwise still grief can siphon enough of your energy to make you feel like your tank is empty and you just have nothing left to give and I feel like that I felt like that this week I feel like that now two years later and it was so helpful just to understand why I felt that way mm -hmm. um even though there weren't people asking me to do a thousand things, I definitely didn't have to walk back into work like I did. It was just that grief was was so unbelievably significant. And then one of my um, best friends in the world, Eileen, she had lost her mom a few years before I lost dad. And I, I remember calling her like the week and I was like, I am in physical pain. Like my my chest is going to rip open and I'm going to die like this this physical pain is going to kill me. And she was like, you're right. It feels like you're being ripped in half. It is so painful. And I was like, okay, like this isn't, this isn't something that's phantom. Like this is real. Like this is an actual reaction. My body, my mind is having, and I'm not alone in it. Someone else had this too. Cause I really wasn't prepared for that and I don't know how or why that manifests, but it felt like it feels like physical pain. It feels like being stabbed in your heart. And having her say that really, really helped me like not feel afraid of it, you know, on top of just understanding what that what that incredible pain was. And then um I always wondered before I lost my dad, whenever someone I cared about lost someone close to them, like if I say something, if I send them a text, if I give them a call, if I comment on social media, like, 
does it help? Am I going to do damage? Does it even matter? Will they ever see it? And I, so I never did it. I was, I was so scared that I would do harm or that it just would, would be in like a void of things they didn't need to deal with that I never did. But every single thing someone said was this tiny light in this really dark world that I did not recognize. But every word of affirmation, every mention of love provided a little bit of illumination until it was enough that I could at least like see the landscape that I was moving in. So that's one thing I'm really grateful to take away is like, I unfortunately know the answer to that question now. And it's yes, like, yes, say something. Um, and say what you are feeling. Like if you're hurting because someone you love is hurting, say that. If you are hurting because you also knew that person and lost them, say that. If you're shocked, say you're shocked. Like whatever you can give to help someone understand what they're feeling is, is, a, is a gift that is invaluable and that there really are no words for. I couldn't have... I obviously was unsuccessful in therapy. So the only things that have helped me really process this are the things other people have said, the affirmations that they've given. Um, so I still need therapy. <laughs> you got to find a good therapist. Yeah. yeah. Sometimes e EAP can be really, really hit or miss. Yeah. <laughs> I've had that experience too. Girl, like tell I had, me about it. Well, I had um, one person, this was through EAP, who just kept convince trying to convince me that i really wanted to have a child she like had me read this book about like all of the goddesses like the greek goddesses to try to like find my like inner feminine wisdom kind of thing and she just kept like kind of projecting on me and like acting like i must have been you know part of my issue well one time she just asked me what do you think your issue is i'm like Girl, why do you think I'm Was here? <laughs> if I knew that, I you think, would not be sitting you here. You think I know? She's like, what do you think your big hang-up is? I'm like, I don't know. I don't know. It's you not Every knowing how to help me. Everything? <laughs> no, but I had her try to convince me to have a baby. And then I had another therapist who tried to convince me not to have a baby, which was way more painful. Because I just mentioned that I had that my husband and I were talking about it. And she said, well, have you thought about it? Have you thought about the medications you have to go off of and how expensive it is? And blah, blah, blah. Like, it was so insulting. It was, it was like she thought that I just was incapable of that kind of planning. Oh. Um, and she had just had a kid. So I think there was some defi definite, like, transference going on where she was just, like, projecting all over me because the session after that, she was much more positive about it and... Um, yeah, but I've, I've had some experiences with therapists, I'm pretty like, loopy. Like now I'm going to have three babies. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's just, and that's what sucks. It's like therapy can be so helpful, but you know, and it's still worth trying it. Even if you do have to get through some trials, just know that like you will, there's just as many like crazy therapists as there are crazy people. So I feel that and it is worth like it is worth putting in the energy to try. And I want to because there are still like I am transformed by for better or worse. And I actually think the way I proceed will determine that. But I am transformed for better or worse by the grief of losing my father, which to me and I I am shocked by this I'm shocked again. Um, 
But it is still as powerful today as it was two years ago. And it's because time does not heal a damn thing. Intentional emotional work does. And I haven't done enough of that. Like I said, my story really is not one of triumph, um, but it is one of possibility. And I need to do that work. And I want to, I feel stronger now than I did then to, to have the energy to do it. And I want to be transformed for the better or the, you know, the newer uh, by this. And it's going to take resources and tools and I have to seek them out. And like I said, do the work of the courageous people like the two of you and other listeners and other guests on this show have done to get there. Um, and I, I, I want to. <laughs> do you have a, do you have a particular memory of your dad? That's really, that you have a really fond memory or something that's really special to you or. Oh my gosh. So many. I mean, I think some of the best memories of my dad, we have this, uh, swing on the deck, um, of the house where we grew up and I, my dad and I used to sit from as long as I can remember. It was always just him and me whenever it was like summer evenings, we would sit out there and we would call it solving the world's problems. And we really would straight up talk about like war. Like we were talking about like desert sands when I was a kid. Um, and we would strategize about how to make it right. And we would talk about, you know, problems big and small. And I learned to grill out there. I was like grilling by the time I was 12. I'm now the grill master in my family. Thanks to my dad. Breaking gender norms. Yes, I know. I like, yeah, I'm very proud of it. I'll grill for you guys sometime. Um, (laughs) Charcoal grill only. I'm like real particular about it. Um, But you know, those memories of talking with my dad on the porch swing, which were, were such a a regularity in my life are so strong and um I mean my dad was just like just fundamentally part of of who I am especially like my imperfections um I talk about like (laughs) the sides of me that are rough and and stubborn and loud and really like have a lot of grit and fight a lot of that comes from my dad and without him like I don't know how to understand those things in the same way and I used to view be able to view those things as positives and now I don't feel like I have the context to do that in all cases and Mm. it's kind of brutal to turn on yourself that way (laughs) um but it is it's hard not to Mm. Like he kind of gave you permission to be the way you were. Yeah. And it was like, he had those things too. And I loved him so much that I could understand that I'm lovable in spite of them, you know, and even because of them. But without him, I wondered if like anyone would ever see those things as valuable in me or as good things, or if I was just kind of on this island alone. And it's all been compounded. We have sadly lost all of my dad's brothers and one of his sisters. So we only have my aunt Judy as the only remaining member of his family. And so it's like contributed to this real loss of identity. And I feel really close to, um, and a product of the history of his family, um, which was a little rough and tumble. Um, and so am I, (laughs) so it's, it's been hard to have the loss of him compounded by additional loss on that side of the family but again it's like you kind of get the supports for the confidence that you have ripped away and then you have to be able to find it within yourself and that's really hard Mm. and I haven't had to do it 
you know, I've had my dad. So I need to do it now. <laughs> really open to advice from anyone out there. Hit me up anytime. <laughs> if you have a good therapist or uh, just some good books or resources, let me know. Maybe the Courier write some articles. Well, I was going to say, I was gonna say write a guest column in the Courier Journal for Mandy. And she'll read it. <laughs> I know. Courier Journal reporters, if anybody's out there, anybody trying to write an op-ed? <laughs> well, we're at that time of the episode where we need to actually switch over to gratitudes. But I want to thank you so much for sharing what you shared because I know that that's hard. And it, you know, it helps me kind of imagine what that experience might be like and kind of prepare for it almost not that any of us can really prepare for grief but you know the thought of like losing a parent can be so paralyzing but like you're here you know showing us that you made it and you know you're still you know your resilience is just really inspiring that is so unbelievably kind I don't feel resilient (laughs) Um, but I do feel really grateful to all the people who shared their experiences with me and please know you anybody out there if you ever want to talk about it I'm 100% here because I know I did have that support and really you know in lack of like formal therapy and other things that is what has allowed me to kind of get on much healthier footing these past two years thank you all right so gratitudes Uh, we're gonna make it fast Okay. <laughs> so fire away gratitudes. Gratitudes. Emory. I am grateful for yesterday when I went sledding with friends. It was fun. We don't usually get to do that here in Louisville, Kentucky. And we went to Cherokee's Dog Hill Park and went sledding. And it was terrifying as an older, well, I'm 34, but I was like, wow, like things are, I get kind of sore now when I fall down. <laughs> um, so yeah, it was kind of rough and tumble, Old. but it was a hell of a lot of fun. And I was glad to. I was excited to be invited and just excited to do something outside in the cold. And yeah, it was a great time. Awesome. So I'm grateful for the experience of sledding with friends. Groovy. Mandy, what about you? Gratitudes. Definitely grateful for my family and friends who have guided me through this journey. Really grateful to my partner, Chet, who still is with me in my darkest moments, which definitely still happened like 18 times this week, for example. Um, And seriously, to both of you and to everyone who's come on to share their stories, like I'm an avid listener and you all keep me trucking. So thank you. Oh, I my gratitude is towards a friend of mine. uh, Shout out Sam Dobbs, uh, who I was just in a really I've been in a really dark place. And I went over to her house the other night and she made me dinner and just she works on the crisis line. So she's just kind of an amazing human to talk to when you're having a mental breakdown mm-hmm. and it's seriously I felt like she saved my life that night like I really felt like there were so many things I needed to hear that I heard from her and it was just like and I was feeling so crappy that I almost didn't go over there um so I'm just so grateful to have her in my life and she's actually going to be on the show one of these days soon yes. so yes all right guys well keep talking about your feelings bye bye Bye. original theme music for two nuts in a pod was composed by neil lucas 